eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This is Chris Fetters of dogman.com here in Seattle, and I'm catching up once again with Kim Grinnells, who is down in New Orleans handling the duties down in the Big Easy for dogman.com. Day four for Kim, it's really kind of day two as far as the big media is concerned in terms of, you know, getting a chance to talk to the the Texas players and coaches, the Washington players and coaches. This is their kind of their second full day of being in New Orleans, getting ready for the Sugar Bowl, which will take place Monday night, New Year's Day. And Kim, you know, again, they kind of flipped the script a little bit last yesterday, which would have been Thursday. They had Washington's offense with Texas's defense. This morning, they had Texas's offense go first with their offensive coordinator, Kyle Flood, some of their key players, guys like quarterback Quinn Ewers, receiver Xavier Worthy, and then they flipped it and they got Washington's defensive guys, the defensive coordinators, as well as some of the key defensive players, whether you're talking about Braylon Trice, Edifuant Ulfosio, Jabbar Muhammad, uh, Dom Hampton, guys like that. So give us a sense, give us a flavor of kind of how things went like today, because it sounds like it was a little different than it was yesterday. Yeah, you know, first of all, we're starting to get more and more and more media coming in. Um, you know, Chris Egan is here, Softy's coming in this afternoon, uh, Mike Varell, Christian Capel have made it in. So a lot of the Seattle media is starting to come on in, and you're starting to see a lot more media down here. And uh, it's still kind of funny because it's still you know, probably two to one Texas media for uh, compared to Washington media. And I don't think a lot of that has to do with the proximity. You know, when we have uh, Texas going on first in the morning, there seems to be a lot more people interested than Texas, which actually is a little bit better for us. We get a little bit more opportunity to ask questions. And, um, you know, I think I talked about this yesterday, what makes things kind of unique. Maybe we're just a little bit spoiled, but for those who don't know, our schedule with the coaches and players on Monday, we always get Coach DeBoer and then we get um, uh, Ryan um, Grubb every Monday and we get one of the two defensive coordinators every Monday. So we get three coaches on Monday and then on Tuesdays we have a player availability and the only ones that are off limits are those who haven't played uh the freshmen and injured players and then on wednesday again we get all the coaches who aren't the coordinators so we can have scott huff we can get jamarcus shepherd and that's our schedule for the week texas they get the two coordinators in the preseason they get they don't get them during the regular season at all they don't get any coaches 
at all during the season. The only time they get players is they maybe get three or four players for three or four minutes at a time post game, but players aren't available. So these beat writers down here are like, you know, they're, they're like hunting dogs, man. I mean, they are, they're into this because it's the only time they're going to get and the schedule tomorrow. And Chris, you went through this when we were down at the peach bowl, we go to the stadium and they have tables set up with every player there. And it sounds like the teams are contractually obligated to make every player available. So you know, I'll be making sure that tomorrow I get a hold of Zach Durfee, Curly Reed, who's from down here. I want to talk to Mac, but the Texas people, they get to talk to players. And what do you think it's going to be like with Malik Murphy leaving? What do you think that is going to be like around Arch Manning tomorrow in the Superdome? Well, Malik, Malik Murphy's not there, so you don't have to worry about Malik Murphy. No, Malik that's what Murphy, I'm saying. Malik Murphy's leaving. already gone to Duke. So. With him leaving, that puts so much more attention on Arch Manning. So you yeah. what, give me an idea what you think that gaggle around Arch Manning is going to look like tomorrow. Oh, it'll be a clown show. No, it'll be an absolute circus. But that's that sounds like it's kind of what they've set it up to be because you know if they don't allow players to talk to anybody and you don't allow the coaches to talk to anybody you know the media is going to take their opportunity when they can i mean that's that's the only thing you can allow the media to do it's like it's like hurry up and wait you know we've done it for years if if you recall in arch manning's recruitment he didn't do interviews he did a couple and that was it yeah. So, and just your your audio cut out just a little bit on the third guy that you were kind of prioritizing to talk to on Saturday morning, Austin Mack, the quarterback. But yeah. obviously, there's going to be a ton of other guys there. Apparently, it sounds like everybody who's down there is is open and available. So that should be really really interesting to see how that works out. Because I do remember how that was. Uh, for the Peach Bowl back in 2016, and essentially to set the scene for that, as you remember, Kim, they were in the Mercedes-Benz, the super, whatever the dome is in Atlanta, where the Falcons play is, where the Peach Bowl was. They opened up that the entire field, and they basically just had places available where guys were going to be talking. And they literally opened up the whole field and they had a certain a segment of time that was going to be open for Alabama players and coaches. And then they had a certain segment of time that was going to be available for Washington players and coaches. And when it happens, it's an absolute free for all. And it doesn't matter going back to the the idea of Texas, the media not having a chance to talk to any of these guys. Well, even though we've talked to a bunch of guys throughout the season, it's still a free for all because we may have really focused our efforts on probably 30 guys for the entire season. Well, now we get the chance if we want to, to talk to the other 75 or 80. <laughs> and and so that usually turns into a total circus. Yeah. And it's, I'm sure that the Texas media is going to gravitate towards Romo Dunzi and Michael Penix, but we've talked to them so many times this year, no need to get them, but it's the guys we haven't had a chance to talk to the Devin Bryant, you know, and Zach Durfee and we are Tyler Rogers. We were talking a little bit about earlier. Yeah, I've already told everybody's been requesting Zach Durfee, so we'll, we'll get a chance. We'll get a chance tomorrow to see if he's real. So that'll be interesting. Well, let's put it this way: I've been listening to a couple of the national media guys, especially the ones that are going to be either already in New Orleans or are going to be covering the game in New Orleans on Monday, and they're even mentioning Zach Durfee, like in their game previews. Like this guy <laughs> might actually matter, and it's he—he's literally he's become Chuck Norris. 
Oh, yeah. Chip, Chip Brown said, tell me about Zach Durfee. I said, he hasn't ever played. They go, well, that sounds like they're concerned about Zach Durfee. And it's just kind of like the legend keep, continues to grow. Well, I, jo- I joked on the message boards, and hopefully people took my, my comment sarcastically, is that, you know, if people are asking what his first play might be if he gets a chance to play in the game. And I'm like, what are you talking about? He's already taken over the kickoff return job from from Daniel Nada, so he's he's going to end up with a kick six, right? That's just that's just how this thing works, right? This is this is the legend of Zach Durfee growing and growing. Oh, he's going to kick off if uh, Washington defers. He's going to kick off and make the tackle, recover the fumble for you know uh, uh, you know scoop and score. <laughs> yeah, he exactly. Um, yeah, it's it's going to be interesting to see how that how that goes. So. Um, obviously setting the scene for Saturday, but let's let's go back to what you saw this morning, Kim. Again, uh, Texas's offense starting with offensive coordinator Kyle Flood, yeah. you know Kyle uh, Quinn Ewers, uh, Xavier Worthy, which obviously everyone's really curious to see if Xavier Worthy is going to be 100%. Did was he walking around with a limp at all? Did you see him walking around? Did you get a chance to get a feel for what that was like with the Texas guys? Yes. Uh, yeah. I, you know, I talked to him. I talked to him on the way out. Um, I kind of com- asked him about the comparison to John Ross. I asked him who was faster. He wasn't going to answer that, but he was a little bit bigger than I anticipated. Um, nice kid, kind of kind of quiet, was joking with his teammates, but uh, he sure looked like 100 percent because he was a guy last year that, you know, just put the fear of God into everybody he played against. And I'm sure he will tomorrow and they'll game plan for him. But yeah, Zach, you know, Xavier, uh, he just looks ready to go. Yeah, and uh, of course he's, he put the fear of God into everyone in the Alamo Bowl until he tried to catch a ball, and then he couldn't catch a ball. Yeah. So okay. if, if he if he does more of that, uh, that'll be interesting because clearly the, the the Texas offense, passing offense, has really relied on him and Ad Mitchell and Whittington and Jatavion Sanders who. I don't, you probably saw Jatavion Sanders um, today, this morning. Yeah. He really reminds me physically of like Austin Safarian Jenkins, just a load, but a guy who can really run. Not as big, not as big, but uh, real bright, well-spoken kid. You know, had a lot of good things to say about Coach Sark and the culture that he's created. So um, he's a guy, and it was pretty. I don't know if it's pretty obvious, but it sure seemed like it to me that um, yesterday after Trevon De Sweat talked a little bit of smack, it sounds like they may have had a talk with some of these people and just said, hey, you know, let's cool it because these guys didn't say a lot, especially Quentin Ewers. I mean, Quinn Ewers, I mean, that was just the creatively saying nothing word salad minus the lettuce. I mean, he said absolutely nothing <laughs> and he was pretty quiet and he's just yeah nothing just nothing at all from Quinn yours yeah and unsurprising right I mean at this point I mean the quarterbacks I mean I know that the Texas fans and Texas media are making a lot of the fact that you know Michael Penix Jr. said he didn't remember anything about the Alamo Bowl except winning you know as if that's somehow smack I mean it's like okay I mean did you want him to talk about specifics of Washington winning the game I mean is that I mean, I don't know what you want to do, but either way, it was interesting. I, I guess you even you we we talked just a little bit um, off off air before we recorded this that that apparently the Christian Jones the offensive lineman started to maybe delve into that a little bit and then quickly caught himself. 
Yeah, yeah. He started down the road and it was kind of funny because his demeanor changed and he got kind of, he started talking a little bit of smack and then he backed right off and he goes, yeah. <laughs> kind of like what Coach Pete used to do. Remember that? He'd start talking and he'd stop going, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, not a lot of guys at that age necessarily have that self-editing mechanism. So good on him for being able to kind of remind himself that, oh, yeah, probably not supposed to say anything. Yeah. So, but was yeah. there – I mean, outside of the word salads and everything else, was there anything, even Kyle Flood, the offensive – which is interesting because he's the offensive coordinator, but he's also their offensive line coach, which I find to be kind of an interesting combination. Did he say anything of note? Yeah, well, I thought it was interesting because somebody asked him about the Washington defense, and he said um, it's a different defense that they faced all year, and then it's more of a pro-style defense. So that kind of you know raised and perked up some ears. So that was an interesting comment, and uh, you know, again, you know, these guys just weren't saying a whole lot. When you if you take a listen to you know the Washington players talk. And then you take a look at the Texas players talk. I think the Washington players exhibited much, much, much more of their personalities than the, than the Texas players. So I don't know. You know, it's just, hey, they're Texas, I guess. So uh, not that they were bad. I mean, but it, it, to me, it seemed pretty obvious that they were trained to creatively say nothing. Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue and guess what now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the name your price tool from progressive it works just the way it sounds you tell progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget get your quote today at progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust progressive progressive casualty insurance company and affiliates price and coverage match limited by state law now let's move over to the other side, the, the the side that we're a little bit more familiar with, obviously, the Washington yeah. defensive coordinators, guys like uh, Alfonso Tupatala, uh, Ulafoshio, Trice, Muhammad, uh, Dom Hampton, some of these guys you got a chance to talk to. Anything out of the ordinary from them, or do you feel like they were maybe given some talking points and some things based on maybe how the media thing went yesterday? No, I mean, they're the same as they have been all year with us. Mike Michael yesterday was probably more upbeat than we're used to seeing him and a little bit more open. Today, um, Eddie, I thought it was interesting. I asked him about, you know, when a year ago, you know, he had football taken away from him. And also Michael had been through that where it had been taken away from him and asked him about him talking with Michael and just ask him if that made this thing a little bit more special since it had been taken away from him. And he said that, you know, he was, he says that he was really unsure of himself and he knew about Michael's injuries and he's looking at his scars. And last uh, spring camp, he was just looking at the way Michael, 
Michael was moving in that first spring camp he was at. And he said it just gave him a lot more confidence that he could come back because it was his first injury and Michael had been through it twice. And he said, yeah, and I asked Michael about it all the time, probably to the point of bugging him too much. So that was kind of interesting talking about that. And then they talked a lot. I was asking them about you know, the games that they were behind during the year, you know, in that Stanford game, uh, the Arizona State game, the Washington State game, and just being behind a little bit, the Oregon game. And, you know, what their mindset was, were they a little nervous or did the were built for this kind of sink in? And they just said that, honestly, you know, they said, we're just not talking it. We honestly believe we're going to win every game. And we honestly believe we were going to win that, you know, the Arizona State game, too. So it was interesting hearing them talk about that. And it's not in a braggadocio way. They're just really confident in their ability. And this is an older team. What was it? Nine guys that are six-year players. And they've got a lot of fourth and fifth-year guys. This is a very, very mature team that's been through a lot and been through a lot of games. And those guys that have been here for six years, they're on their third coach. And I saw something, you know, online yesterday about, you know, when you're doing hard things, it makes hard things easy. And these guys have been through a lot of hard stuff. So the hard stuff for them just seems to come easier than it does to most. Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, obviously, they've been through it, too. Right. You know, I mean, it feels like. Those kinds of games not only harden you for the tougher times, but it also gives you a reference point on how to deal with things when they might get away from you, when they might all of a sudden get a little bigger than the moment should allow for. And so there's certainly there's certainly a lot to be said for that. So, you know, we'll see we'll see what happens in terms of whether or not the moment gets too big for them on Monday at the Sugar Bowl, because it just doesn't feel like. This team is 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 somehow going to be awed or swayed by that moment, even as big as it is. They seem to be flying under the radar because the other three programs are the ones that are getting all the attention. When you talk down here, it's just, Texas is getting most of the attention. And then even I think that Alabama and uh, Michigan are getting more attention than Washington and I asked, you know, 13 and 0, number two ranked in the country, yet you're underdogs. How does that sit with you? And they just said, we're used to it. And, you know, I asked Braylon, you know, why is that? And he goes, I really have no idea. Well, I'll tell you why they're underdogs is because a lot of the national pundits and the and the odds makers, you know, they're not looking at Washington. They're not seeing Washington. They're on the East Coast and they're just not seeing a lot of Washington football. But uh, they're going to on Monday. Yeah, no, there's no question about that. Also, what I found unique about this particular setup today, Kim, is that, and you'll have to remind me, because I don't remember if this was was the way it was maybe for the Alamo Bowl, um, but this was a rare time where we got a chance to listen to both William Inge and Chuck Morrell at the same time. And, and you really, like you said, when you laid out our initial weekly media schedule for game weeks, we usually either get William Inge or Chuck Morrell. We get one or the other. They they usually um, go back and forth from week to week. Today, you got a chance to talk to both of them. Was there anything interesting or unusual about seeing them both up there at the same time? 
Yeah, Chuck Morrell walks in in his sweats and his cut-off hoodie, you know, with the arm sleeves showing, and, you know, he's got his beard, and, you know, William Inge comes in looking like the college professor, and, you know, William Inge is a guy who, he enjoys talking. Chuck Morrell sitting up there on that stage, you could just tell the minute he sat down, he was just looking for the exits to get out of there, so, um, no, I mean, it, it's it's just kind of funny. Those guys are co-defensive coordinators, and they're so different, and they were talking about, uh, Chuck Morrell was talking about just you know back at Sioux Falls with the coaches and just how much of an influence those early coaches when he played actually had because he was te- you know I'm sure some people realize but Chuck Morrell and Kalen DeBoer were teammates back at Sioux Falls and they mentioned their coach back there Bob Young and still how that guy still has such an impact on them today because when they played Bob Young was 98% about culture and 2% football, and that still rings true today with what they're saying. So, you know, when Coach, you get Coach Morrell talking about stuff like that, he opens up. But, uh, you know, Chuck is kind of like Pete Kwiatkowski. He'll talk to you, but it's not his favorite thing to do. Yeah, and, I, and generally speaking, between the two of them, to give fans kind of a flavor of, of kind of what it's like to talk to these guys on a weekly basis, when you talk to William Inge, he may, he may seem to be a little bit more buttoned up or have kind of the canned responses, but he has pretty clever ways of being able to kind of say things in coach speak where it's like, oh, that's interesting. Like when he mentioned the goons thing, like, you know, you got to have 11 goons going after the ball. So I was like, oh, that's interesting. I haven't heard a defensive guy talk to talk about players being like goons. But I, so that kind of struck me as odd right off the bat. One of the first times we got a chance to talk to him. But generally, he's pretty good about being buttoned up, whereas Morrell, he I think he's got a little bit looser filter, if you know what I mean. Like he's more inclined to maybe say things. And then, like you said, he, he might catch himself or, you know, he doesn't feel like he's 100 percent like comfortable being in that situation. But you if you get him in a situation where he's really kind of open and talkative he can really say some cool things no he's great you know so um you know of everybody on the entire staff i would say uh chuck's probably the most buttoned up and talking to the media he's probably the one that enjoys it the least but uh yeah i mean they're both fine today and you know i I, what i think is kind of cool is we know these guys because we've been around them so much but i think the National media is getting an appreciation for what these guys really are, you know, with, you know, uh, Grubb coming in, you know, with his beard and his baseball hat pulled down and the Washington coach is just coming in and the Oregon, I mean, the Texas coach is being a little bit more buttoned up. So they're kind of seeing that blue collar work ethic uh, attitude from uh, the Washington coaches. Yeah, I think the other thing, too, to kind of go along with that, Kim, is that. You know, I think that the national guys that don't necessarily see Washington as much or just haven't been connected with Washington as much, if they're more East Coast or South or what have you, you know, they'll see the occasional article from Bruce Feldman in the Atlanta, uh, in the Athletic or like, a, you know, Kirk Herbstreit talking about the culture and, you know, their their experience during the game day uh, thing with the, during the Oregon game, for instance. And so they'll get a general sense of, oh, it sounds like the culture is really strong. It sounds like the buy-in's been really strong. It's It feels like that's been probably a real key component for them going unbeaten in 2023. So I think when you go to what you were talking about and these media finally getting a chance to have first-person interactions with these players and coaches, now all of a sudden it really dawns on them, you know what, this is legit. This is like 
they're exactly who we would have expected them to be based on what we've been reading, what we've been hearing. You know what I mean? It just it just feels like, yeah, everything that people have been talking about, it's not artificial. It's genuine. It's exact. Yeah. These guys are exactly who we thought they would be. Yeah. The other thing that was kind of interesting and both Braylon Trice and Dominic Hampton talked about it. It was, you know, with the coaching change with, you know, they started with uh, Coach Pete and, you know, Jimmy Lake and then Kalen DeBoer. Guys were asking them how close they got to getting in the transfer portal. You know, and Braylon Trice said, yeah, I was looking at it. Dominic Hampton said, yeah, I was looking at it. (coughs) Excuse me. But, you know, Dominic was saying his parents told him to stick it out. And Braylon Trice was saying the same thing. And when Michael Penix was talking about when he came on his recruiting visit, you know, he spent some time looking at, you know, he knew the offense, but then he saw that the weapons he was going to have and he got really excited and go, yeah, I can win with these guys. So, you know, the culture thing, uh, we're built for this whole thing seems to be the mantra. And like you said, you know, we've heard, heard so many slogans over the years, fetters, we've heard it so often, but this team with this, you know, we're built for this. This seems to, and this is about us and the one and all mentality, probably rings more true than any other team I've covered. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I mean, there's something, it's not, I wouldn't say it's unique because it's, what I would say though, is that I would say that there has probably been more carryover to what's happened on the field in terms of the connection between culture and results culture and the end result compared to even with coach Pete or, you know, going went back earlier with Sark and, and all the other coaches before that. So yeah, I, I think there's, I think there's certainly something to that for sure, but it really goes to the idea that these guys have really, um, you know, embraced it, bought fully into it when coach DeBoer and his staff first came in. It's funny because what I'm seeing right now with like Jonathan Smith at Michigan State, and I know this is going to sound like an odd comparison or, or, um, or, or segue, but I'm seeing a lot of guys from Michigan State that went into the portal that are now withdrawing, that are now going to stay at Michigan State. And that reminds me so much of kind of that initial push right after Jimmy Lake was let go and Kalen DeBoer was hired. And these players at that time, back in 2019, 2020, were in limbo. They didn't know if they should stay or go. You mentioned Trice and Hampton. There's tons more examples of that, right? And and by by talking to Coach DeBoer, by talking to the assistant coaches that they would be working with, you clearly got a sense by all those players returning that they bought in, like they understood what the potential was, what it could be. And I think we're seeing a lot of the same types of things with Jonathan Smith at Michigan State right now. And I think that's part of the reason why it may not happen for the next year or two. But I think down the road, you'll see maybe some similar type success with Jonathan Smith at Michigan State. Yes, unique special times right now. You know, and if you're not appreciating this, you know, not paying attention, we may never see anything like this again. So it just makes it pretty special, makes it pretty special being down here. You know, we've been doing this since 1997. So we've been through the highs and lows and we've been through a lot. So, you know, I'm not taking this for granted at all. Before we move on, Kim, any, any unique quotes, anything that really caught you off guard talking to the players? Uh, yeah. Dominic Hampton said he held a baby alligator and gave it right back. (laughs) which was kind of funny. I think I saw saw Roma Dunze was talking about that too. On yeah. one of the social networks, I think I saw that he because I saw the baby alligator, but I also saw that it either had like 
a rubber band around its mouth or something so it couldn't open its jaw, right? And so like it looked it looked unique for sure. Yeah, if they're handing me a baby alligator, I'm turning around going, Nope. <laughs> yeah. Nope. Okay, makes sense. Makes sense. Not doing that. So, uh, uh, nothing really. I, I mean, just, you know, just, they're just regularly good guys like we've talked to. So it's all interesting. A lot, you know, just seeding kind of a lot to the national guys and, you know, because they need to, I mean, it's the first time they've ever been around the Washington guys. So it's all good. Yep, for sure. All right. So we are going to move on real quick. We don't have a ton of recruiting news we need to talk about, but we do have one big piece of information we absolutely need to talk about. And that's something that happened Thursday or actually first thing this morning, Friday morning. Earliest woof ever? Maybe. I think I saw a woof roughly, what, about 7 o'clock Pacific time? So it might have been yeah. about 9 o'clock your time? Yeah. That, it, was, it was crazy. I, was, I saw I it. I was like, I kind of had to, like, you know, kind of rub the sleep out of my eyes a little bit and go, is this for real? Did I miss something from yesterday? But, yeah, it was real. Yeah. And uh, we had that one pre-written. <laughs> we, yes, and, was, and all credit was, to Scott Ackland for for being right on top of that one. He knew he knew that this one's was likely coming down the pike. And the player that we're talking about is former California wideout Jeremiah Hunter, who announced early this morning that he is going to transfer to Washington for his final season. Now he's got two years because he does have a redshirt year available if he needs it, but he's got two years to use one year of eligibility. So he's likely uh, at this point, I guess you could call him a one year rental. Is that fair to say? Yeah. Yeah. So, so uh, six to 200 pounds, uh, 60 some catches for 700 some yards. And you just got to, you know, you mentioned it, Chris, those are good numbers for an anemic offense like Cal runs. Yeah. And, and because, you know, coach Wilcox is in that staff, we know a bunch of people down there because there's been connections between Washington and Cal with those coaches and that staff for a long time. And the, the reviews we're getting in terms of the initial response of, of a guy like Jeremiah Hunter going to Washington and what they know about the offense sounds pretty positive so far. Yeah. Um, what I was told, you know, from somebody who's really close to the Cal program was uh, he's not going to blow you away with his speed. Fundamentally strong. He's got strong hands and it's a really good pickup for Washington. And then he dropped a couple of expletives and said, we're a damn triple A farm team for everybody else to become raid so but uh yeah so feel bad for cal but that's a pretty good pickup for washington and you just we always say chris when something happens and you hear me say this all the time the first words out of my mouth is what does it mean let's bring it in a receiver for one year mean chris what do you think it means well it, it's interesting because they do have a bunch of guys coming through the pike they have a couple sign true freshman guys that are going to be there in 2024 signees in Jason Robinson and uh, Williams from um, from Oak Christian, Oaks Christian. So they're, they're going to have those guys, uh, Justice Williams. And so they've got guys coming through the pike, and, they're, and, and Jamarcus Shepard's going to develop those guys as they go. They've got the two guys left from the, from, from the class last year in Rasheed Williams and Keith Reynolds. So they've got four basically freshmen, redshirt freshmen, coming through the pike already. Um, you know, they've got seven guys that are incoming transfers, although only four of them have signed so far because you've got quarterback Will Rogers from Mississippi State, uh, linebacker Ethan Barr from Vanderbilt. You've got Drew as a party, the offensive tackle from San Diego State and Sebastian Valdez, the defensive lineman from Montana State. They still need to get uh, B.J. Green, the edge player from Arizona State, 
They need to get Trey Watson, the tight end from Fresno State, and now Jeremiah Hunter from Cal. They need to get those guys signed and delivered with their scholarship papers before uh, winter quarter starts at Washington, which will be on January 3rd, just 48 hours after the end of the of the Sugar Bowl. So things things are going to be moving very, very quickly, Kim, in terms of what this what this all means. But, yeah, does it mean is it is it basically just a straight swap for Roma Dunze? Because that's kind of what it feels like right now. Or Jalen McMillan. Well, but that's the thing. Is it are we are they going to are they just going to because what I'm looking at is if you look at Jeremiah Hunter taking Rome's spot and then you've got the two incoming guys and obviously one of them, you've got Tayshawn Lyons, who's in the portal now, the the fresh true freshman receiver. So right now, how many guys are actually in that room? So I think your main guys are going to be Hunter um mcmillan or polk i i think one of them will wind up coming back and then jeremy bernard and i wouldn't be surprised if another guy comes into the room too right because you you in theory you'd have giles jackson right you yeah. could have jalen polk you, you got rasheed williams you got jeremy bernard you, you could have conceivably jalen mcmillan you've got denzel boston yeah right and yep. so then, and then you've got any of the, you know, basically everyone else. You got Keith Reynolds, so that's seven. And then you've got the two true freshmen, so that's nine. And then Hunter makes ten. That sounds about right. Yeah. But I mean, that's again, that's assuming that both Polk and and McMillan return. Um, at this point, would you characterize? What do you think the would the odds be greater than McMillan returns or Polk returns? McMillan. See, and I'm thinking, yeah, I'm thinking McMillan too. Yeah. Yeah. So um, he might have slipped out of the first round and possibly down to the third or fourth round. See, and, I, and I'm, you know, as good as he, a championship game as he had against Oregon, Kim, and we've talked to him and, and he said basically these next games, including the championship game, were going to kind of determine his mindset on how he was going to attack this decision eventually because they have until, and this is all the guys who want to declare, whether it's Rome, Trice, um, Troy Fautanu, any of these guys, and any of the other guys who have big decisions, whether we're talking about Roger Rosengarten, whether we're talking about Jabbar Muhammad, um, some of these other guys, you know, Dylan Johnson, you know, they, they're going to have until January 15th to officially submit their paperwork for their, for their, for the waiver to be included in the draft. If you have not included your paperwork or submitted it by the 15th, you can't do it. You're done. So, you know, we'll see. We'll see what happens because there's not there's just two weeks from the Sugar Bowl, literally two weeks until they have to declare. And I know I know that makes it seem like, well, they only have a short amount of time to decide. They've been thinking about this for a while. Don't don't get it twisted. I mean, these guys have been really thinking about this in the back of their minds for quite a bit. And obviously Jalen McMillan, when he got hurt, that really put a wrench in the works because I think he's seen so many of the guys that came back, whether it's Fautanu, whether it's Trice, whether it's some of these other guys like Penix, who are seeing this, seeing the results of those guys coming back and really finishing their careers how they, how they wanted to on a real high note. And I wonder how much of that is going to really tug at Jalen McMillan um, as we kind of finish things up here. 
I think it's going to be real interesting because from what I understand, the uh, grades came back mid-December. So I think that they've had their grades from the NFL for a little bit. So I think they'll have a pretty good idea. And again, if Jalen McMillan blows up in the uh, in the game on Monday, that could spur some things. If he has 150 yards and a couple of long runs and everybody sees that he's healthy, he's going to be right back in there. Yeah, the other thing I think that was interesting to think about in terms of what this decision by Jeremiah Hunter means in the grand scheme. Kalen DeBoer on the signing day press conference back, um, what was it, two weeks ago or a week ago, he um, mentioned that he thought there could be up to maybe five guys that could maybe be a part of this class above and beyond who signed and who was announced on that particular day, on signing day. Obviously, Hunter and Trey Watson could be considered part of that five group. Do you think they're done if they only go after maybe three other players? I think they got one or two, but that's probably about it. Unless we get some more attrition than we anticipated, but um, we'll have to update the numbers, but uh, some attrition from Washington in order to fit who they have. Right. And, and, and we will update the numbers uh, right after the, the sugar bowl to be sure. But I, that is the key component, right? It, it, whatever, whatever number they're at now, like, let's say they're at 85, for instance, and I'm not saying that 100% for sure, but they're obviously right around that number. Whatever, whoever they want to add, they're going to have to subtract on the other end. So if they want to add two more players, that means they would have to have two more players leave via attrition in terms of players that would transfer. And I think we will see not only players making decisions in terms of whether they're going to stay, whether they're, they're going to declare for the NFL, but also if they're going to declare whether or not they want to go into the portal. And even if they do yeah. go in the portal, as we've seen before in the past, it doesn't necessarily mean that you got to stay there. It doesn't necessarily mean you're done. You could go out, test the waters, and then depending on how you how your relationship ended with the coaches when you went in the portal, they may welcome you back with open arms. So you just never know how those things work. Yeah. No, I expect a lot of those decisions to be made um, next week. So I'll try to get some answers out of the guys. I'll ask Rome. I'll ask Jalen. I'll ask, you know, the two Jalen's if they're going to come back. And, uh, you know, it's Roger Rosengarten and uh, some of the other guys, too. Troy Fautanu, who I expect to go. But uh, I'll see what I'm I can get say, out of it. It, it, does, it does feel like there's probably three guys with eligibility remaining that just seem like absolute slam dunks. And that would be. Troy Fautanu, Roma Dunze, and Bryce, uh, Braylon Trice, right? I mean, it feels like those are the three guys that it feels like they're, they're, done. they're done no matter what. Well, Scott Huff flat out said, uh, I asked about, you know, him recruiting Troy Fautanu, and he flat out said, he's ready to go, Kim. He's ready to go. <laughs> so, yeah. Troy's not coming back. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he won the Morris, he won the Morris uh, Trophy for the best offensive lineman in the Pac-12, voted on by his peers. Um, it usually doesn't get any bigger than that if you're a Pac-12 mm-hmm. offensive lineman. I mean, that's that's like his Heisman Trophy. So, hey, did uh, you notice what uh, Romu Dunsey said about his NIL deal? Did you did you remember what he said? I thought it was kind of funny. Uh, uh-uh, I did not. He he said I, they asked him if he bought anything. He goes, I'm cheap. He goes, I haven't spent a dime. He goes, I don't buy no chain, no car, no nothing. He goes, I invested it. <laughs> so yeah, well, and that is kind of funny too because. Really, depending on how these guys were raised or the environment or anything else, you know, like a lot of these guys, they'll do their NIL stuff. And they'll e- they'll either donate a chunk of it to charity 
or they'll give it a lot to their families because maybe their family needs it more than they do at that time. So it really, really totally depends. But knowing Rome and knowing his situation, you know, that doesn't surprise me whatsoever. That doesn't yeah. surprise me at all. Dom Hampton said he bought some something nice for his bratty little sister. So that was funny. There you go. <laughs> See, well, again, family, you know, I'm sure the, I'm sure he's got probably they've probably got younger brothers and sisters that are pestering them saying they've got money now. So why aren't you spending it? And, you know. Yada, yada, yada. So. All right. I, I need your assistance, Federer. I need some advice. I don't come okay. for advice. I need some advice, right? Yep. Okay. So um, I'm scheduled to leave here um, on Tuesday at 3 o'clock to head back to Seattle. And then I've got a flight out again to Houston. I mean, for the, for the national championship game. So I get back Tuesday, and I've got a flight out actually to Austin at 6 o'clock in the morning on Thursday. So I'd only be home for a day, maybe. I've got a six o'clock flight in the morning, so it's really early into Austin. And then it's a two-hour drive uh, down to Houston. But then I've got coming back the next day is uh, not an issue, but it's um, I think I got a three o'clock flight out of Austin uh, after the national championship game. So Softy and Cam Cleland are doing the same thing to Austin and driving back to Austin. And then so a lot of the guys down here, they're talking about if Washington wins, are just going to drive to Houston. So I'm trying to figure out what I want to do when they win this game. What would you do? It makes sense to me. I'd stay down there. I wouldn't I wouldn't fly all the way back up to Seattle just to fly back the next day or within 48 hours. So maybe I'd stay, I'd stay down there. Maybe jump in a car with one of the guys, Dean Rutz from The Times or uh, Dan Raley, maybe jump down there. But then um, I'm going to have to if I don't know if I'm going to be able to get a flight back out of Houston, back up to Seattle. So I'll have to check on that or maybe get a ride up to um, Austin somehow. Well, you know, you're you're never you're ne- it's never too old for a good road trip, Kim. That's that's my <laughs> advice. Never never too old for a good road trip. Now, yeah. now, now if it's precluded to the fact that you would have to drive from Houston all the way back to Seattle, that might be stretching it. But oh, if you can get back to Houston, or, or if you can fly out of Houston, or even have to go up to Austin uh, to fly out, or hell, even even uh, Dallas Fort Worth, if you have to go to the Metroplex, you can get flights out of there too. So. I mean, there's yeah. there's got to be some options. I'll figure it out. So, anyways. Yeah. yeah my no, gut. Exactly. All so, right. uh, and any anything else we need to wrap things up before we uh, put a bow on this particular podcast for Friday? No, I'll probably head over to Bourbon Street and um, uh, grab some dinner and maybe catch up with Softy tomorrow night. We have a media party on one of the balconies on Bourbon Street. So that ought to be interesting. And then uh, New Year's Eve. Um, yeah, New Year's Eve, we have uh, both head coaches. So we'll have DeBoer and Sark on New Year's Eve. And then um, Monday's going to be busy. Monday's going to be really busy. So uh, we'll take it from there. Yeah, I saw that today they had a uh, second line parade at Pat O'Brien's. You didn't get a chance to go check that out, did you? You didn't grab a hurricane or anything like that? No, I'm not going to drink a hurricane. Hurricanes are st- for stupid people. I'm not stupid. <laughs> so. All right. All right. All right. Yeah, I could have no. sworn I saw you have a hurricane back in 2011 when we went down for the LSU game, but maybe I was just seeing things. No, because I think it's just vodka and sugar water that's dyed, you know. So, yeah, and it's bad vodka to begin with. So, no, just, well, then they have then they have those slushy things and those really huge and those really huge, like thin containers. Like you just 
Yeah, those things are evil. Yeah, I'll just grab a pale ale, a lager, pilsner, or a glass of red wine and call it good. I'm not going to do any of that nonsense. So. Okay. All right. All right. Hey, you've heard it first. Kim is going to avoid all sugary alcoholic beverages while down in New Orleans. <laughs> and on that note, we are going to end it here for Friday. We will obviously be back to you uh, tomorrow when there are going to be a lot of things to talk about. I can guarantee you because Kim's going to get the he's going to get the total scoop on Zach Durfee, a.k.a. Chuck Norris as well as uh, guys like Austin Mack and, and Curly Reed and getting back to Louisiana for him and all the other guys that we have not gotten a chance to talk to so far this year. So for, fun day tomorrow. go ahead. It'll be fun day tomorrow. Yes, it will be. So for Kim Grinnells down in new Orleans at the sugar bowl, this is Chris Fetters for dogman.com. Go dogs. Go dogs.